for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tacovas.com. that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome, grinders, to another Insights edition of Blue Collar Elk Hunting. This is where I have the opportunity to interview people from all walks of life to talk about all things elk. On today's show, I have Jason Nowert, known by most as Jason the Butcher. Jason is a professional butcher, elk hunter, and outdoor specialist that instructs military and civilian survival processing of wild and domestic animals. Let me tell you, Jason knows his stuff. In this episode, you're about to get some incredible content and discussions concerning mistakes and misunderstandings when it comes to field care of your elk. Discussions on techniques, hunter scenarios, and incredible insights into things that I myself had thought to be either gospel or taboo when it came to care of my elk after the kill. Y'all, there is power in knowledge, and let me tell you, this show brings it. So my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting's Insights Edition. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control. 
those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to our Insight Special Edition. Hope you enjoy the show. If this is your first time with us here on our Insights Edition, our goal is to interview people from all walks of life that bring their viewpoints, expertise, or stories about elk and elk hunting to inspire, guide, and educate. And y'all, today's show actually comes from some requests from some of our listeners that were concerned about care of their meat after the kill. A great concern. You asked, and boy, did we listen. In fact, today's guest is an expert in the area of meat care. I'm Joe Gillia, your host for the show, and joining us today from Colorado Springs, Colorado, the butcher himself, Jason Nowert. <laughs> hey, Jason, how are you, man? Hey, Joe. Doing, doing good, doing good. Awesome. Hey, thanks for being here, Jay. Hey, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. Share, yeah. share, my, share some of my info. Well, I tell you what, um, I'm real excited, and people are in for a treat. And But before we get started, uh, I'm going to give everybody a little bit of background and kind of throw myself under the bus here a little bit, because, you know, I want to talk about the first time we met, all right? Yeah. So, a mutual friend of ours, Mike McKay, right? Uh, yep. He listens to our podcast, and, and Mike and I do some stuff together. And Mike tells me, he's like, Joe, he says... But he says, uh, there's someone I think you should meet. I think you two would really hit it off great. And he said, and I was like, yeah, really? Who? And he's like, Jason the Butcher. And <laughs> he, goes, he says, Jason the Butcher. I'm like, you mean from like five points, the gangs in New York? Or, you know? <laughs> so we have, he tells me, starts telling me about the things that you do and your involvement mm -hmm. and your programs and, and your passion with meat care. Um, and, and I was like, oh, I've got to meet this guy. Well, yeah, you know, let's do this. And so he introduced us first in a group text, right? You know, yep. and, uh, and I give you a call and, from there, we have this incredible, what, two hours, man? We're yeah. on the phone. Yeah, we were on the phone for quite a while. And we have this incredible conversation. And uh, like I told people, I'm going to throw myself under the bus right away because, uh, and we're going to go and talk about this more in depth later in the show. But as we're talking, and I'm talking to you, and, and I think it's so great to get advice from a professional, 
you know, I started asking about mistakes and some of your uh, pet peeves and stuff like that. And right away, you go, I hate the friggin' gutless method, right? <laughs> and, yes, I did. And, and you're like, I've practically gotten in fights with guys because of it, man. And, and you're like going on and on. And I mean, the passion's flowing out. I can hear the anger in your voice. And I'm trying to find someplace. I'm like, Jason. Jason. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, buddy, before you go any further, because you might want to hang up on me, you might not want to talk to me. Yeah, that again. was funny. I'm like, this guy's, this guy's getting nervous. Cause I'm, I was getting pretty like, are you kidding me? Why would you do the gutless method? There's so much you're wasting and you're not using. And why wouldn't you eat the heart and the liver and the kidneys? And, <laughs> yeah. No, it was all good, man. And, and you know, from that's, ex that's exactly why you're here. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, and I, and I proceeded to tell you, Jason, I've, before I ever had a name, you know, mm -hmm. everything that I do is self-taught. I mean, uh, processing the animal in the field to, uh, processing the animal here at the house, doing all my butchering, you know, everything that I've done has gone through years of experience, sometimes mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Right. Yeah. But trying to. Because for me, the most important thing was having that meat in our freezer. I mean, my family was raised on it. So my goal was to bring and do the best I could with the meat, make sure that it was great tasting, that it was something that my family wanted to have a palate for. So um, I had all of these questions to ask you. And so I was doing the gutless method before I even knew it was called a method. And yeah. Because most of the time I was packing animals out on my own back distances mm -hmm. and having to make some decisions about that, which those scenarios are going to come up. We're going to talk about some oh, of the yeah. hard, you know, we're going to talk about some of the hard questions and some of those hard answers. And uh, uh, so, but I just wanted people to know that our first discussion <laughs> was. <laughs> it was kind of intense, wasn't it? It was a little intense. Yeah. Well, yeah, but absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, no, uh, -uh no, it was, it was a good intense because then it, it kind of, you made, you made me think one, and then I hope, hopefully I made you think a little bit different. And then I, sure. I started sending you pictures. I sent you those pictures. Right. Cause yep. we were talking about, we were talking about rib meat. Right. You know how people don't take the rib meat and I'm like, well, here you go. Why yeah, would you I'm, take the rib meat? Cause okay. you can do this with it. And you know, I got a text back. Holy, what do you, how? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and we're going to bring that gem up again, man, because I'm actually going to show the pictures of that to everybody so they can see that. And and it was a gem, man. And, and your knowledge for what you do, um, there's things that I think people can really take from that. And I think it gets people thinking a lot. And that's what this is all about. Um, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we talked about how our listeners – and what we try to do is everybody wants to be ethical and responsible in the field to Absolutely. take care of that animal in the best way possible. But as we said, and as you and I discussed, the word ethical uh, is a relative term that mm -hmm. <laughs> is different according to different norms, regions, practices, traditions, and all kinds of things. So, you know, I'm real careful about rubber stamping my beliefs on over on top somebody else. Uh, mm -hmm. But can I educate? Can I put the thoughts out there? Can I put the ideas out there? Um, mm -hmm. And maybe there's some things that people just are, are, are misconceiving. And, and so I think always, always education's 
the best tool where people can get information and make some smart decisions from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you want me to tell what I do a little yes. bit, like who I, I am. Yeah. So do me a favor, introduce yourself to the audience, your profession, where Jason the Butcher comes from <laughs> and uh, how you got into meat care and then, you know, kind of talk about some of your focus and goals with the projects that you're doing. So, you know, obviously I'm Jason Nauer. Um I'm from Colorado or I'm from Illinois, but I was raised at the base of Pikes Peak in Woodland Park, Colorado. Uh, so I grew up like you. We grew up hunting for our own meat and, you know, I just kind of learned how to butcher squirrels and rabbits. I'm, I'm watched my dad, watch my, my older brother, and I kind of developed my own thing on how I butchered, you know. Uh, right. They kind of just cut, you know, my dad would just cut the loins out, cut the legs off and all that. And then they would make steaks or roasts. It, it was, there was real no method to it. It was just whatever's easiest to get meat in the freezer. Right you know, like anybody sure. else in the world. Um, but as time developed and I started hunting on my own and all this and killing my own animals, I'm like, man, I should follow. Maybe if I follow that scene, what can I get out of this? And how do you do this? And just kind of self-taught. This was before YouTube even existed and any of, you know, cell phones weren't a, weren't a thing. And from there, I just developed who, who I am today. You know, I, I, I learned, I, I self-taught wild game. And then at 39 years old, after a short career in law enforcement and working overseas as a contractor, and then I got in, I came home because I was injured. And then I did landscaping for a while. I, I decided I wanted to either get into culinary because I love to cook or some kind of butcher type thing. And I, I came across the butcher class school up in Denver through Cook Street. I don't think they're open anymore. I, I know the butcher school. I own it now. I bought that that oh, wow. business. Oh, yeah. Cool. I bought rock. I bought Rocky mountain Institute of meat back in 2015, 2014, 2015. Um, but I took that course. It was a six week course. You know, I, I worked during the day and went to school at night and realized, you know, the, the instructor Mark was like, well, you've never been to butcher. I'm like, no. He's like, where did you learn your knife skills? And I'm like, just self-taught. And he's like, man, you're amazing with a knife. You're like, precision and I said well what do I do with it you know where do I go from here and he's like well let's get through the course and you'll sit down and we'll talk so I ended up working weekends for free it, I, I'd work Monday through Friday get off work Friday and drive to Denver Friday night and go do food events and go help him do you know he was teaching fresh sausage and basic butchery and all that and I, I, I was just basically um, his little right-hand man that worked for free for 12 months, 13 months. And then I started, you know, I, I met chefs in Denver and my name started getting out. So I started, you know, teaching their guys how to butcher lamb or pigs or whatever. And it just kind of exploded from there. Um, it's, it's only been seven, eight years. I've got the 35 years worth of butchering, 40 right. years worth of butchering behind me. But uh, the professional end of it, it's only been going on eight years now. And for some reason, I just became the guy. And now I teach my, my main job in life is I teach um, military special operation soldiers, uh, whether they're, they're operators or um, support, 
right. how to take a domestic live animal or wild game, whatever. We train, we train with domestic animals, how to take that animal from a live point to eating the entire thing out in the field over an eight-day period. And some groups only want to do like five, just do the butcher part of it because they're not worried about the cooking because they're all cooks anyway. Right. But some of the other guys are like, well, I don't know how to cook, but can you teach us all this stuff? Uh So I, I, I teach them the most humane way to harvest an animal like off a farm to skinning it, gutting it, identifying, you know, you you do the pre-slaughter. Does it look healthy? You know, is it happy? Is it social? Or is it sitting in the corner with snot coming out of its eyes and its nose and panting? You don't want that animal. You want the one over here that's dancing and prancing with its buddies. Um, So we pre-slaughter identification and then post-slaughter, when we cut it open, we, you know, you inspect the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, the intestines, look for parasites, stuff like that. And then once all that's good to go, then we move on to the butcher portion and I teach them how to butcher from, you know, you go you, your standard primal cuts to your subprimal cuts to a retail cut, which is basically a steak, you know, a roast or something like that. So I teach right. them the, those stages of butchery. And then from there we get into, if they're doing the whole cooking portion of it out, out at the camp, then I teach them how to make bone broth out in the field because that's like the most mm-hmm. nutritious thing you could possibly drink in your life. Um, so we, we, we try and utilize 99% of that animal. That's um, awesome. Uh, as and- far as even, even the hide, cutting the brain out, mm-hmm. um, scraping the meat off, and then you know quasi tanning it, quick tan, mm-hmm. and then smoking it because then that becomes a quick, um, once you smoke it, that's why Native Americans smoke their, their hides, they become waterproof or, you know, at least as a better than not having anything. Well, you even talked point. about, if I remember right, you talked about being out there cause this is in the field. This is basically, you know, so you're, you're dealing with special forces type guys so that mm-hmm. they can survive in the field and get the most out of an animal in all sorts of ways. So they're actually using that hide to create a smoke house to smoke yep. meat, which in yeah. turn prepares that hide and, and makes it waterproof as well, right? Exactly. And now you just smoked meat. Right. So you have jerky where we know the shelf life of jerky, you know, not that it's going to last 15 days or 10 days because they don't have vacuum seals out there, but that'll get them over a period of time mm-hmm. because these guys, you know, they're eating 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 calories right. a day or need that. So you just smoke a whole, you know, sliced it obviously and smoked a whole leg of lamb. Right. With a team of six guys, that's going to last you five or six days you know, for protein intake. So plus where, you made bone broth, plus, you know, all the other stuff. Yeah. And so where are guys going to get, I mean, when you talk about those parts of the animal like that, um, where, what part of the animal is guys going to get their most calories from? So it's like, okay, so the standard is fat is flavor. Well, right. fat is also calories. There you go. Yeah. So if you look at an animal from nose to tail, from your about your between after your 13th rib from your 13th rib forward is going to be the further forward you go the more fat there is the further back towards the hind end 
the less fat there is. So if you look at it in that, that fashion, you're going to get more calories towards the front of the animal. Oh, cool. You know, um, one thing is, uh, sodium, you know, a lot of times you're dehydrated, your sodium levels are down. You put an animal down. The first thing you want to do is eat the eyeballs because they have so much sodium content that'll get sodium back into your system. So, so now Almost. before, before you go, I, I, just, <laughs> I could go on for hours about, no, no, I, and I want you I to go on, man, because this is awesome because <clears throat> you don't really think about sodium in an animal like that. But when, as soon as you said the eyeballs and, and you and I have talked about this, there's a lot of parts of the elk that end up going to my dog because my dog loves when I bring an animal and, and would mm-hmm. rather, I'd rather meet uh, parts of that elk than, this dog food stuff they make. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but I have taken eyes out from my dog and I mean, that's like hard pieces of rubber. It's even hard for my dog to chew on them. So how did, how did you prepare an eyeball man for, to get sodium? You, you just got to bite through it. Really? Cut it, like cut it open kind of in two pieces or whatever, if you can, but save as much of it. You just got to chew through it. I mean, the, um, there's one group of guys that trains, and they, they slaughter a cow, and the first thing they do is, well, you know, within two minutes of the cow being down, they eat the eyeballs. And how much sodium you get out of eyeballs like that? It, it just depends. depends on the animal, right. yeah, the size and all that kind of stuff. And um, flavor, is this, I mean, you choke it down? or is you, it how- Yeah, you don't, 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 don't plan on your, your eating, you know, a $100 piece of sushi. <laughs> you, you, it's, it's not... It's not going to be pleasant, but it's, it's, it's going to get, I mean, it's th- thinking about an elk hunting situation. Right. And you are in the back country and you're like, oh my God, I dropped it or I lost my water right. or I, the, a hole got in the container and you're starting to think about water content in, um, which we can, we can get into utilizing the stomach mm-hmm. to how sure. to clean it in a river and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to building a little fire to hanging the stomach over the the fire at, at a certain not over the fire off to the side and, and heating rocks up and dumping that into the water inside right. the stomach and boiling the water good enough to drink just so, to get you some kind of water content i, I tell you what there's dude, so many there's so much stuff yeah i mean we could go on for days and, and i want listeners to understand something uh jason's going to come back because um we're going to handle things that that the questions that I'm getting from people as far as dealing with their meat, but I love the survival aspect because even, okay, we call it survival, but for some people, man, that, that is just great utilization of the animal. I mean, I have, I hunt with native American friends of mine that, you know, when I bring in a deer or I bring in an antelope, you know, a, a lot of guys, the, the skull, the brain's not utilized. No, these guys wrap it and it goes over the fire and they're scooping the brain out with a spoon after it gets done. And, and that's breakfast, man. I mean, yeah, they use every dog Bre- part of it. So, yeah, I've had a ramen, ramen, eggs and brains for breakfast. Yeah. I mean, so we're definitely going to get into that now. Well, Meat when care. you... When you talk about your meat care, um, you, you have a, a business and you said that you deal with, and I'm going to touch on one more thing because you brought up the, the bone marrow um, uh, mm-hmm. soup, right? I, I guess is what it is. or Yeah, or broth. Broth. yeah you just make like, yeah. yeah. Now you told me something about how 
some special forces guys, um, where they're at, their, their cafeteria is now, that's part of their diet. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's another, um, we'll just call them group of guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I go to their compound and we do some training and I, I brought a friend of mine who she didn't cure herself of Lyme disease, but she had Lyme disease and she kind of did a lot of research and this, that, and the other. And she started off with drinking nothing but bone broth for two weeks straight. She ate nothing, just drank bone broth mm-hmm. and her cognitive function at the beginning of it, you know, she didn't want to get a bed. She couldn't concentrate. She had foggy head going on. And over that two week period, that all started to go away. And then she started to see like different nutritional, th- like part, like things in her body change, like, you know, not to be gross, but you know, her stomach lining started to get better. So then, you know, more regular things started happening and all that. Right. right. So, you know, I, and, and her name's Carly Smith. She, she goes by the fairy gut mother. Um, she's an amazing person. She's, Oh, she's just absolutely, she knows everything about the gut, the gut brain and all that. So I brought her to one of these trainings just to talk for, I introduced her here in Colorado. They were out here training with me. Mm -hmm. She was here for like an hour and they were like, Hey, we want to talk to that person when you come out to our compound, you know, next year. And I said, okay, cool. So I brought her with me and she did a whole like, three-day presentation on and off throughout the days and now they after seeing what she was doing and how she did it now they literally that is on their menu they make bone broth every week and that's what these guys drink for the health benefits of it and Um, and, and these are these are tough guys that need to have their bodies in tip-top shape yeah these are these are the top tier guys right that, that you want yeah, so, they're amazing. So that says something about that. Now, your uh, you when you say you teach classes or yeah, tell us a little bit ab- about exactly what you do, what your programs that people you know, and and your current projects, what you do with that. So you know, I, I have my main focus on the military, okay. which is you know that from live animal to eating, you know, cooking and eating it right after eight days. Um, I also, I, I offer the same, kind of the same program to civilians. Um, I have a friend who has a uh, survival school mm-hmm. just west of here up in Cripple Creek. And he invited me to come up to, to teach a group of guys how to slaughter a sheep and then break it down and then cook it out in the field. So I, I, I do offer that and him and I partner and it's kind of cool to have because they'll be in the middle of their survival, like their first three or four days of survival stuff and then I'll come in and teach this class and then all they're allowed to use is what we, you know, you know, the kill and the meat and all that, that's all they're allowed to use for the next 15 to 20 days, depending upon what the class is. Uh Yeah. You know, and then he has a guy who's really good at, you know, we were talking about the stomach and using it for water and cooking, making stew and all that. And then his friend comes in and does kind of the same, you know, he talks about, Hey, you know, you guys, let's clean the stomach out and let's do this. And it's, it, it's really cool to do that. And, and anybody can sign up for those courses. Um, they can contact me. Uh, 
I can get, I'll, you'll have my, you got all my information. Yeah. And we'll make sure um, that we get it here at the end of the show, how people can get a hold of you and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. And then, you know, the other, the other part of it is I get just people that want to learn how to butcher their, their game animal much better than they do now. And people don't realize this, whether it's a pig, a lamb, an elk, a deer, all muscle structures are the same. Right. This is where my, this is where creepy Jason, the butcher is going to come in. If we walk, <laughs> if we walked on our knuckles and our tiptoes on all fours, uh-huh. we have the same muscle structure as any other animal. We're just upright. So you have the, you have a flat iron, you have a tenderloin, you, you know, you have a back strap, you know, you have a prime rib row. You, we have all those things. We're just up, not like this. Right. Right. You know, we're not horizontal, but I get a lot of inquir- inquiries like, Hey, I want to learn how to butcher an elk can you come to my house after I shoot an elk? Well, I, I, I can't because one, I have a job <laughs> and yeah. two, I can't just jump in the car and drive to the Western slope and, you know, in <laughs> and, and 20 minutes and teach you how to butcher your elk. Right. right. That's, that's not how it works. So oh, they don't want I you to teach them. They want you to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think right. that's what part of, part of the thing is because it's always like, well, what does it cost me? And I'm like, <laughs> it's going to cost, you more for me to come to your house and teach you than for you to take it to the guy to do right. it for you, the processor. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to explain to people, I'm like, we can, I can teach you, we can get a couple lamb. They don't have to be live. I can get them pre-slaughtered and all that kind of stuff direct from one of my suppliers. And it's a smaller animal, but it has the same muscle structure. So right. you're going to take it apart the exact same way, you know, and I, and I tell them videotape it, do whatever you want take notes, ask a billion questions. So I have that capability too. And I really enjoy that because I come to your house and you know, you're comfortable, you know, it, and you're, you're not trying to pack up a bunch of ice and a bunch of coolers and all Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. We can package it and stick it straight in your freezer Mm -hmm. as we're doing this. Um, and it's always kind of fun because we can cook some of the meat. We can, I can teach you how to make fresh sausage I can teach you how to make jerky sticks and all that kind of stuff with your wild game. Yeah, that that was um, so the other thing. That's kind of what I do. When you, when you talked about that, I mean, I, evidently, I, I, I think I heard you use the intestines to make sausage. You do all of that prep and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So part of the class, part of my military classes too, is, is utilizing as much of the animal as possible. Right. And that includes... Here's how we clean the intestine here. You know, it it goes back to, um, we'll call it organ care versus Mm -hmm. meat care. This is how you're going to clean it. And this is what we're going to utilize it for. So they clean the intestines. We soak them in salt. We get the bile out. And then at the end of the class, after they soaked in some salt water for a few days, you know, all the bacteria is gone by then. Not only that, you're going to end up cooking it. So if there was a little bit on there, you're still going to cook it off and you're not going to, I haven't, I haven't had a student knock on wood or whatever. <laughs> least my head is wood. I haven't had anybody get um, sick in eight years. Nobody's gotten food poisoning. Well, and I, and I would like to quantify that because for people that go, well, nobody's gotten sick and there's a little bit of bacteria, more people get uh, sick and don't know it. They're, they're actually, when they go to a lot of restaurants or go out to eat, yeah. you know, they, they get more bacteria and, and they don't realize that that stomach gas or some of those things that are happening is because <laughs> of some of that bacteria that's, that's yeah. out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So know, know your restaurant, know it really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. It's, uh, it's, 
it's real important that that people understand that what you're talking about is is uh you know people are like oh wow i i don't want any bacteria but let me tell you what man uh, it's 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 it, it and you know at the end of the day it it's not a bad i mean i don't want to get a coli or boli or any of that but at the same time right i don't a lot of people stress about the with wild game Mm-hmm. I don't. I actually don't stress about it with wild game as I would with domestic. To I, be I hear with you. you. Right. Other other than you know here in Colorado, chronic wasting disease. Right. Mule, you know it's big in mule deer. It's, it's huge in elk. But with that, if we're if we're talking about meat care, those are cuts of meat. Like if I wanted to do rib roast, bone in rib roast with an elk, I won't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. Because you have to cut through spinal fluid, right? I see, and as you're right. cutting a saw, you're dragging spinal through fluid through. Oh, sorry, my dog just fell off the couch. She's <laughs> um, I'm outside, and uh, you're dragging that spinal fluid through the, you know, up against the meat and all that. You know, with chronic wasting, the the studies show no, you're not going to get sick or whatever because you're going to cook it properly. But I don't want to be patient zero, zombie apocalypse number one. So be that it, guy. How, it, what are the what is the evidence for guys out there that their animal does have chronic wasting? Can they tell? So I think later stages you can see it. I'm not right. an expert in it. I would yeah. read if it were me, and I'm just being safe right now. Right. I would reach out to my local division, like wildlife officer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and literally do the research with them or ask them like what like can I identify this out in the field? Personally, I know in the early stages of it, you're not going to be able to see it. Right. But I know that there are later stages where they appear like they ate local weed or something. Mm-hmm. They got clumps of fur. You know, they just don't look good. Yeah. And that goes back to what you and I were talking about with 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 my course. I I'm a patient hunter. I just don't shoot the first damn thing I see, uh-huh. you know, and then walk up to it and go, Oh my God, look at the green pus coming out of its ear. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. or look at the softball size lump on the opposite side that I couldn't, you know what I mean? Right. Right. So look at that animal and be like, Oh my God, it's beautiful. Hide and look at it. You know, its ears are up. It's alert yeah. and all that same yeah. kind of thing with wild game. Yeah, if, 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 if you got one in, laying under the tree and it's like its head and its ears are dragging, you probably you, you want to shoot something. it because you want to put it out of its freaking misery, misery. Right. Yeah. But you can't do that. You know, yeah. now you got to tag that animal. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's nature. You yeah. know, and welcome if to people Mother People understand that, that animal behavior. Anytime you see a, a cow elk or especially a cow elk that's off by itself. And yeah. And it just looks like something's wrong, man. I mean, you can tell an animal that is sickly and an animal that's not doing well, uh, that mm-hmm. has gone off by themselves, that is just standing there, and they, or, or they're not so afraid when they spot you that, you know, that they're not running off. If you ever come across an animal in the wild that's not reacting to your presence, something is wrong with that critter. In some absolutely. way, right? So, yep. absolutely, there's some things that like that that you should notice and pay attention to, and really before you go do anything. And you're right, I, I, I think it's a that's one of the things 
where man's laws and nature laws, where I have a little problem with that, because there's some animals that should be put out of their misery, but yeah. you're going to end up having to tag that. And, you know, and there's some people that actually, they'll bite that bullet because that's, it's that important to them. And, you know, uh, I've seen people that have uh, punched a tag because they wanted to put animal out of their misery, man. And they thought, felt that was more important, but you know, well, that, hey, that that's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. You know, yeah. that, that goes back to personal choice. Yeah. Choices, mm -hmm. feelings and all that kind of stuff. And, right. and I don't disagree with it. And I may come across a time where I decide, you know, what is, is me getting meat, which I know I can get any time mm -hmm. worth watching this elk or deer or whatever, yeah, just suffer out there, sit here and suffer to death, you right. know? Yeah. Is it yeah. worth it to me or do I tag it, bring it in and give it to the division of wildlife and say, Hey, this is, this is how it was reacting right out in the woods. Mm -hmm. I went ahead and shot it. I put my tag on it. You guys can have it and do some kind of, cause you never know. Right. They might find something that they've never come across before, or they might say, Oh crap, this is going to spread like wildfire in this herd. And now you just saved a herd. Yeah. That's so absolutely that goes true. back to the conversations in your head. Like, what do I do? Do, do I need meat that bad or could I end up doing something above and beyond what that has a ripple would, effect? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's take your knowledge. Let's take this conversation to elk hunting. Uh, let's talk okay. about Jason, the butcher and, and, and your elk hunting, because, you know, you bring a different perception because you are somebody that knows how to deal with the full 99% of that animal and using that. And I'm sure that um, Jason, the elk hunter now is different than Jason, the elk hunter with dad back when I was a kid. And, yep. you know, there, there's some things that have, that have changed there. And each of us, we have our reasons and responsibilities when we hunt an animal. So in your best case scenario, in your focus and your goals of what you want from your education, let's talk about Jason the elk hunter now versus Jason the elk hunter then. So Jason the elk hunter then was with dad and brother, and mm -hmm. it was pretty much get what you can. You know, I, my dad would, you know, he'd take the heart out he always kept the heart, but we mm -hmm. gutted the animal. Like you said, the, the gutless, the gutless thing is, wasn't a thing like you, like you were right. saying that, that right. wasn't a thing back in the day. Right. Um, so it was basically like I was telling you earlier, it was cut meat off, cut it into a steak or a roast, wrap it up and throw it in the freezer. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I, I've kind of taken the domestic butchery, Right. And really laid it on thick on the wild game butchery. Mm -hmm. So generally wild game butchery is the back straps, which is actually the loin. Mm -hmm. um, people just pull those off. They either cut them into steaks or they do little roasts with them. Mm -hmm. um, most people I know do medallions. Um, so I take that, my, my, my domestic knowledge, and I say, okay, I'm going to take the flat iron out of the animal, which comes from the shoulder blade, right? Where most like growing up, all we did was cut all the meat off the front shoulders and stick it in the grinder and turn it into burger. All we did was take the shank, 
spend 20, 30 minutes cleaning a shank of all the sinew, the silver skin, yeah, yeah, and yeah. throwing it in the grinder. Pain in the you know? butt, man. Yeah, everybody's like <laughs> such a pain in the in the butt. You know, the neck meat, throw it in the grinder. If mm-hmm. you even if if we even took all of it, you know, it was one of those from the shoulder back was pretty much what we took, you know. And then as I got older, I'm like, I would skim a little further and a little further. And I take my loin starts at the base of the skull and goes all the way down to the ass. Right. Right. My loins are as, as long as I am. About, about a six foot loin almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I held my cow elk loin up above my head, the length of my arm, and it was still touching the ground last year when I shot my cow elk. Right. So, you know, that, those are the differences. I just started recognizing different cuts and then learning the, the professional butchery of it. Oh, well, deer have a flat iron. Deer have a Denver steak. Deer have eye of round. They're just much smaller in comparison to a cow. You know, I've butchered buffalo and, and moose. You know, I shot my own moose. And the flat iron on a moose was twice the size of a flat iron on an elk you know, and the flat iron on the Buffalo was about the same as the moose. Um, now, and now when you say flat iron, is that that shoulder blade cut? Yeah, that's that shoulder blade cut. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's, it starts out kind of paper thin and then right. grows and gets to about an inch and a half, two inches thick. Yes. And then there's a piece of sinew right in the middle of it. That, mm-hmm. So you fillet that the top half off and then the, the bottom half and you've got two pieces of flat iron. There's, there's other knife techniques that you can do to where you can fillet that out and then you just flap the two pieces of meat back together or you have one big giant flat iron flapped out. But that's all technical stuff we can get into some, yeah, yeah. some other but, time. But um, when you bring that up, that flat iron steak, it, it, and that is one of the things like in, in our Blue Collar Elk Academy in our base camp, you know, I, I talk about um, it's different between rifle hunters and bow hunters. And there's rifle hunters out there that uh, I know that there's the thought that you blow out the shoulder to ensure that animal doesn't walk off anywhere. So they're basically trying to make sure that they, you know, incapacitate that animal so that they don't lose them. But one mm-hmm. of the things that I bring up, and, and I agree, number one, you don't want to lose an animal, right? That's, that's no. what we don't want. But at the same time, I talk to people about sometimes there's choices that you got to think about when you're placing a shot because I would always place my shot in a way that I could take that animal down as quick as possible and have as much meat as possible as, as well. Exactly. Yep. So when you blow that shoulder out and that shoulder blade, you're taking, you're taking away some of the only meat sometimes really that you're going to get. I mean, sure, there's stuff under the elbow like Shank that we're talking about, but the quality of that meat is up in that blade, right? Yeah, I, would, I, I just assume give up brisket. Mm-hmm. You know, some right in here or right by, you know, the breast, the brisket. Right, right. Then blow its shoulder in half. And now you've got fragments of bone. And I, I think people realize it, but they don't think about it at the time. When you hit that shoulder and those fragments of bone and lead go out, they spread out kind of far and mm-hmm. deep, you know. Mm-hmm. So how much you know, how much are you willing to give up? And I've seen guys just dump whole, the whole shoulder because it was shot. Right. You know, they're like, oh, look how shot it is. I can't eat any of that. Well, I got news for you. Just because it's shot, it doesn't mean the meat's bad. Just because it turned like purple, that's still edible meat. Throw it in with your grind 
or your sausage. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything about the meat. Just change the color because you it's, blew the blood vessels apart. Which is an incredible thing because as a young kid, I was always taught cut off the bloodshot meat so that it to yeah. get to the good stuff. So a huge misconception. Yeah, huge misconception. But with a rifle, the thing you got to look for, you got to be careful that you don't, you're not, you don't get bone fragments or lead while right, you're right. chewing your burger. So that, that goes back to being very cognizant of your meat care from the time it hits the ground to the time it hits your mouth. Well, we talked about that's, there's one huge misconception and, and, and light bulbs. Yeah. It's funny, Jason. Every time we talk, man, I got these like <laughs> epiphanies that just happen in my head. Yeah. And, and again, it comes from, I'm a backwoods redneck that was raised by his backwoods rednecks. And we did the best we could with what we had, but you get yeah. those, you get those old adages and those things passed down from, you know, grandpa to son to grandson. And, and so exactly. you take that stuff as gospel and, and you believe that. And we were always taught, man, you know, you look at a bloodshot area and that's all purple and it's, it's, it's coagulated and, and stuff like that, that, you know, you cut that. It's no good, right? You you got to cut that out. But you know, so there's a huge misconception, right? Yeah, that's not true. You can, you know, now do I want to like if I shot it with a rifle? Do mm-hmm. I want to eat that meat direct, like within an inch or two directly around that shot? No, because I'm worried about lead, bone, there you go, okay. stuff like that. Right. But when you get that, even that watery, bubbly stuff around yeah. the out, the the impact. Yeah, the, yeah. The, kind of the, the shock impact of it. Right. You can trim that stuff and throw it in with your grind. There's okay. It, it doesn't make it bad. It's so just, what it other just changes what other, the molecular structure of it. That's all it did. Awesome, man. I mean like I said, light bulb bing coming on yeah. here. So let's talk about some more of these types of the biggest misunderstandings and mistakes made in the field that you have learned from Jason the kid till Jason now. Um, we've always, I, we always like when the animal is down. We we always had the get it, get it off the skin as fast as possible. Get it cooled. Get it in a cooler. Get it home. That kind of thing. Right. Um, generally, growing up, we rifle hunted, so it was always winter time. Right. So it was more of get the guts out, get it hanging up in a tree or whatever and get it cooled down, then skin it type mm-hmm. of deal and take it home. Or sometimes we, we would have to take it to a processor that goes back to my dad had to go to work because we didn't shoot anything until the end of the hunting season and right. all that kind of stuff. No, no time to do it and don't want to leave it hanging outside. Cause we didn't have a garage growing up. We, you know, we just had a carport neighborhood cats, dogs are going to come and chew <laughs> on the dang thing. You know what I mean? Reality, no reality, how, yeah, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> Not, not really much has changed other than I realized, like, I think you and I were talking about, I, we shoot an animal and we're six miles back, right? Right. And we get things in game bags mm-hmm. or can you leave the hide on? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you can leave the hide on because like you said, you've done that because it keeps the meat clean. Right. 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 But you also know that you're going to get that leg that rear quarter or front quarter with the hide on, you're getting it from point A to point B as quick as possible. Then you're going to skin it as soon as you get back to your camp right. and get it on ice. That's not always, that might not be your option. So 
pre go back to what we were talking about, kind of plan for worst case scenario. Sure. Worst case scenario, I shot the thing, you know, towards the end of the day, but it's still 85 degrees out. The light, you know, it doesn't get dark till seven or eight o'clock now. And I shot it at five. I found it at six. I still got a couple hours of daylight. So you need to pre-plan those things, worst case scenario. But I also know I'm going to go back to camp and come back and get. So what do I take? I believe we had this conversation. Sure, we did. What do yeah. I take? Me, I say, skin it, get it in a game bag, hang it in a tree in the shade somewhere, get air circulating around it. Hang the legs, take the loins, the tenderloins, and the neck. Or if you, if you, if you remove the loins like I do from the neck down, mm-hmm. you're taking those. And our, I believe our discussion went to, well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you take a leg, the heaviest thing? Well, one, you're probably tired. You know, you just hunted something all day. You got it down. You tracked it. You gutted it. You're taking it apart. You know what I mean? Or you did the gutless method. So you're already spent. So account for how tired you're going to be. Now, if it's the morning, then you're going to be like, hey, I'm going to run all the loins back. I'm going to come back and get another load. Then I'm going to come back. I'm going to try and do two or three loads today and then finish off whatever I didn't. But if you don't have that option, I say take the loins because there's really no good way other than to leave it out in the elements mm-hmm. because they don't make a game bag for loins, right? Right. right. So what are you going to so, do? So all that, <laughs> that loin and all that neck meat and all that extra meat, and if you, you know, all of that's going to end up clumped together in a bag. Yeah. So now you've, you don't have any way to actually circulate 100% of that meat. Right. Right. Around it. So you get a nice crust on the outside. You right. got a loin folded on top of a loin that's folded on top of a loin with a tenderloin thrown in there. And that's that's your that's your bacteria bed. And it's by the time you get back, it's already going to be green. Yeah. Those sections are already going to turn green in, 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 in the hot weather situation. And unfortunately, you can't take a, a bag and take your loin and lay it out long and roll it up in a bag and then hang it. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because right. now you ha- the bag is now you've done two or three folds over it. It's not getting air to it at all. Cause those bags are specifically developed to let air come through, but not bugs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, and it's basically, and so here's the way I think of it too, is that anytime you cut into meat, you are now you're now opening things up for bacteria anytime you cut into it right so you know if you have the choice of what you're going to hang and i get to hang a quarter sure yes i cut it off at the hip that's an area that you that could possibly introduce but if you you know you cut that off you get that into a bag it becomes one solid piece you can actually hang that up it's not where you have piled cut meat and piled it on top of each other and introduced that no give it no way to cool this you know that's going to be able to cool itself and if i take all that neck meat it becomes so much more important to get all those loose pieces that are going to become piled meat that could possibly introduce bacteria and get that in a cooler on ice asap right yes yes because the chances of that front quarter that rear quarter mm -hmm. going bad Mm mm-hmm are way slimmer just like you described because you only made you only like when you take the, take it off at the hip socket you only cut that like one if you did it right it should be one continuous nice cut right? right right at the hip socket i mean you might have little cuts or whatever 
but most of those are going to be the less, that meat that's left is going to be on the bone. You just have one, we'll say 10 inch diameter where your knife touched. That's it. Everything so, else. So with is Jason skin. the butcher, that's how it happens. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I know people watch me, they, they watch me dismantle an animal and they're like, wait, how did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you just follow, you just do this, this and this. And they're like, yeah. dude, 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 slow down. What is this, this, <laughs> this that you're doing? Yeah. And, it, and, I, and it, it's literally just, I call it riding the bone. Right. Um, with your, you just get your knife, the tip of your knife up against it. And you just kind of, you just kind of slide it and you feel it and you get to that hip socket and you crack it and you just yeah. keep that slide. Motion and, and you're going, talking about and that, that you're talking off. about that pelvic curve in there when you're riding. the yeah. bone. So, yep. you know, and for guys that are doing it for the first time, you know, and that's why I tell people, you know, if you've ever, most guys before they elk hunt, they've deer hunted. Um, they've, uh, They've hunted some kind of critter, pigs or something like that, where you can actually work at finding how to ride that pelvic bone um, so yeah. that you're going all the way back to the back. And like you said, then you're popping that, uh, you're, you're popping that, uh, that uh, uh, connection your, your little, there, right? Yeah, your little hip socket pops. Yeah, your little hip you're, socket. You're golden. Yeah, and, and then you just continue to ride out until you get to the back, and, and then you just kind of ride through the skin there. And mm -hmm. um, then you can take that and skin that out cleanly, put it in a bag. Now, what I said is, and this is one thing that I've mentioned, and I've heard people say, you never leave skin on meat, okay? And you and I had this conversation because for me, again, from point A to point B, my my most important thing to do is to keep that meat clean. I want it clean. The cleaner yep. I keep it, the less bacteria that gets on that. If that means that I can start from inside that pelvic area, like you said, ride that uh, pelvic uh, curve, pop that hip joint, go right to the back, and then slice that off. And now I can, you know, because a lot of people, they don't understand. There's times when people shoot an animal Let's say they shoot it at 9 o'clock, and then they've waited for, I know some people will wait up to an hour, depending on the shot. If it's a what they think is a liver shot, they could be waiting up to five hours. And mm -hmm. who knows, that animal might have died at that three-hour mark, so now that animal's been out there for two hours, right? Yeah. And, yep. and uh, I, I mean, there's times when I know that a leg has been on the animal maybe four hours before anybody gets to it. And then mm -hmm. in that case, you got to get that leg off of it. You probably need to get it cooled as soon as possible, right? That's, that when, that's when you take the skin off. That's yeah. when you're like, okay, I got to get the skin off this yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got to get it off. And, and yeah, I mean, that just reads common sense to you. But the most important thing when you get an animal, and the sooner you get to it, is to get it off the body. You get it off the body, it starts cooling itself off, right? It's not yep. that leg right on there. And, and people don't understand that that skin holds heat in, but that skin keeps heat out too sometimes so yeah um it can cool down with that skin on you can put it on a pack you can get it to your vehicle again keeping it clean and when i say vehicle i mean like atv utv get it back yeah. to camp and now it's now skin I mean, it. yeah now skin yeah. It in, a, in a better environment right yeah because you know you go like kind of focusing on that point too um how many guys take the skin off and I'm, I'm just going to say this from 
uh, it happening, not to me, right. To my, my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, luckily I had it in a game bag, but it still had some stuff on it. So not, not everybody. I know guys I've done it numerous times, forgot my game bags. Oh my God. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I forgot my game bag. Um, for me, it's hard to leave the skin on and this is going to kind of blow everybody away. I am deathly allergic to elk hair, deer hair, antelope hair, moose hair, all those hairs. So I'm allergic like, to elk blood, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I get any of that stuff on my hands. Mm-hmm. I start to hive up and all that. If I don't yep. take my medication, I carry EpiPens with me and all this. So for me to leave the hide on is not an option because I'm not going to put that thing on my shoulder and have the hair rubbing on the side of my face right, right, right. or yeah. on my back with the dander and the hair going everywhere. Yeah. Um, get that. But I've, I've seen more dirty meat than I have clean meat. Mm-hmm. And you're going to lose more trim of the dirty meat than you are trim of crusted meat, of mm-hmm. dried up crusted meat mm-hmm. on a game bag. And I believe we talked about this too. Right. People don't know what to do with the crust, so they throw it away. That's, that goes back to waste. So you this is another lose. misunderstanding here that I wanted coming out, man, because I'm the, all right, total victim of that, right? Where yeah. in the day when, because I don't hang my meat now, and we'll talk about that in a, a little bit, but I don't hang my meat. And one of the reasons I didn't hang it, well, there were a couple reasons, um, you know, I see so many people that end up hanging in a garage when it's still staying like 50, 60, 70 degrees in that, that yeah. garage, right? Uh, flies get into it. They lay eggs into it. Uh, it seems like no matter what you do a game bag, sometimes they find a way to get in there when it's hanging in the yeah. garage and do something like that. And then there was the crust. And I found that, man, I was having to trim off so much of the crust to get to the good meat that there was a lot of meat that was going to waste but it didn't have to because that was a misunderstanding. You don't have to like, it's, it's basically an uncured piece of jerky. Right. If it's clean, like you, you left the skin on, you drug it out. Even if you didn't, let's say you skinned it out mm-hmm. wherever you shot it, mm-hmm. but you kept it clean. There's no dirt or pine needles and, and pine needles don't bother me as much right. as dirt does. Yes. Um, you hang it up, you bring it back, and it's got that nice thin layer of crusty meat on it. Mm-hmm. You can, you could still, and I, I've done it a million times. I've left that crust on when I'm seaming out mussels, right, mm-hmm. for roasts and stuff like that. And let's say you're not comfortable, you're you're not at a comfort level I am, especially with cooking while game or cooking or butchering or anything like that. And I totally get that, and I'm not, and I, I'm not trying to put anybody down for throwing that crust away but i can educate you and say hey if you're not willing to eat that crust which it it won't hurt you if it's clean it's going to be fine there's there shouldn't be any bacteria on it or anything like that Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to do that cut that crust off and introduce that into your bone broth because you're you're pulling nutrients from the meat you're going to strain all that out anyway because you want a nice clear broth or let's say you want to make a demi-glaze or, or whatever with, with that, which people don't do that. There's, I found very few wild game people that make their own broth out of the bones that do their own demi-glaze. Now 
with elk and mule deer. What's a, what's a demi-glaze, bro? You lost me there. Demi, demi-glaze is that real gelatinous. When, when you go to a, a steak restaurant uh-huh. and they give you that dark, thick, chocolatey-looking sauce on top. Oh, okay. That's uh-huh. a demi-glaze. And oh, it takes, okay. It, it takes forever to make. It's, it's, I don't do it anymore. I just buy it in little cubes at the store. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 16, 20-hour process to do a really good demi-glaze. Um, uh, the, the re the reward for the, the, the labor sometimes is isn't worth it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, minimal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So take that crust and just introduce it into something else that you can, you know, like your broth mm-hmm. that you're going to use to either cook with or, or utilize. And when I say broth, you know, that's the bones, generally the knuck anywhere where there's a lot of like the knuckle, the elbow or something uh-huh. like that, where there's a lot of gelatinous that's going to come out of it. Right. That's got the most nutrients in it. Okay. Um, we made bone broth at cold weather training with the green berets. We made, I, I, I don't know, probably like five gallons of it at least. Maybe it was 10. And what we did was we put them in two quart and remind you this is cold weather training, Taylor park, Colorado, 22 to 30 below zero, 50 mile an hour winds. Our struggle was to keep meat thawed, not froze. You know, I put, I put a tray of chicken outside and it was literally rock hard in 10 minutes. Wow. 10 minutes. So what we did was we said, Hey, let's pour this, you know, cool it down, pour it into Ziploc bags, flat, lay them flat out outside. Mm -hmm. They froze. And what they did was they took the Ziploc bags and slipped them between two layers of their cold weather gear when they went out on their snowmobiles. Mm -hmm. And what you do is this, you you know, you can do this as a hunter too, if you're a rifle hunter or whatever. And as it melted from their body Body heat, heat. Uh they would drink it. And instead of drinking water, well, they were still drinking water, but you're getting water and you're getting a caloric intake and nutrients coming from that bone broth. Yeah. So, I, I had talked to one of the guys that did it and he's a good friend of mine now. Um, and I, he said, I felt a million times better drinking the bone broth and I had more energy and I didn't feel as lagged down as if when I, all I drank was water yesterday. Right. When we went out all day, I had more energy. I felt better. And not only that, let's say you you have a cold in, and we all know military guys and hunters are the same kind of the same mentality just because I have a cold isn't going to stop me from going elk hunting. You know, right. mm-hmm. the sniffles, I mean, I, for me not to go elk hunting, I, I better be laying in bed, vomiting and, you know, all the other stuff. But it, it, pre, it helps prevent colds. It helps prevent those flus. And it goes back to your gut health, your, right. your gut brain and your, your brain brain talking to each other. Mm-hmm. You're, you're now living a healthier lifestyle, introducing, good bacteria mm-hmm. faunas and floras into your stomach that came from a nat from from the animal right you know uh it it's it, it just you can utilize that crust for for something like that and to make broth is easy i mean it's you're talking an hour's worth of time while you while you're making dinner you could have a pot of broth going just boiling made, over there, right? Yeah, yeah. I made I yeah. made ten quarts of it the other day in like an hour. So it so was, when you're talking bone when you're talking bone broth, I mean you talked about things like knuckle areas and stuff like that, but it's important that marrow, you know, areas with marrow and all that are, are in there, right? 
Yeah, you can use pretty much anything. Now, okay. since chronic wasting and all that, I don't use spine. Anything right. off the spine, I don't use. Okay. Right? So we just leave the spine. So you can use rib bones, leg, shoulder, stuff like that. Right. But any spine or head related, just leave it out. And you can use any kind of bone. You could use deer bones, land, I mean, anything. Anything you got, anything you killed save those bones and you to use them, make broth. So we talked about mistakes and misunderstandings, but is there any like specific, and, and we're going to talk about, we're going to follow this up here in a second with the gutless method. So we don't have to hit that, but any specific mm-hmm. mistakes that people need to avoid when field dressing that you see happen? The biggest misconception I see and it, and it goes back to lack of education or this is how they did it from the time they were kids or whatever is a lot of guys just go from they'll they think they have to cut the sternum open right i've seen some really good um hunting guides probably like yourself uh-huh. that don't even mess with this you don't need to saw the sternum you don't need to saw the pelvic bone any of that the only thing you need to do is make a cut from right here because you want the tongue the tongue is amazing by the way mm-hmm. um elk deer whatever you want to start where the trachea, you know, from the trachea, you want to go all the way down, cut that loose, and then below the sternum, all you got to do is cut around the, the bung, right? And then make that incision to that point. And you can cut, I don't know if people know this, but where the diaphragm is, that's your hanger stakes. Okay. That's where your hangers come from. So you're going to cut the diaphragm where it's white, not into the meat, because you're going to take that meat off. And then all you got to do is reach up and grab the trachea and it'll come from and pull it throat, down. To, throat to butt. Mm-hmm. And it all comes out in one big piece. You don't need a bone saw out in the field at all to dismantle an animal. You should be able to dismantle an animal with one knife. You don't, you don't need all the, the – there's so many tools out there. I swear I've seen guys that look – they had more crap than Batman <laughs> to, to, to gut an animal. And I'm like – yeah, I, I'm I'm all for like people who aren't like as savvy as I am with a knife to use a like a zip hook, you know, like a gut hook. Right, right. I love the gut hook. I love it. It it pretty much is, ensures that you're not going to cut the guts open. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm all for it. I have a couple of them. There's times where I'm like, we go back to it, it, you know, I shot the animal. I had to go get all my crap and come back for it. And it's kind of bloated that that skin's tight on that gut. Cause those gases are starting to build inside and all that. Right. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be bad if I, if I, if I slip or nip or whatever. So I'll just pull the gut hook and go whoop. And I didn't touch any of the guts and we're good. And you, you know, I, I, I think a lot of reason people pop that, that chest and try to saw that chest is they don't feel like they have enough room to be able to get in, to get up in there and work with that animal. When actually what I have found over the years as a guide, if I come from and take that flap off the side below the ribs, it gives me so much better access yeah. to be able to yep. get in there. And And that's meat that you're probably not going to use that, if I had to make choices in there. Yeah. 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 Your, your, uh, your flank or right. even your hanger stakes and stuff like that. You're talking maybe a half a pound. Yeah. Maybe, right. you know, right. 14 ounces to eight to 14 ounces of meat there. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people want to do that 
because it's just easier for to me it's harder sawing through a sternum Mm -hmm. at an elk that's laying at a weird angle and all Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff to me that's way harder than taking my jacket off or you know if you're if you're a gun if you're hunting rifle take your coat off and just reaching up and grabbing and, and pulling it all out at one time right and not only that when you open it up now you've got a bigger chance of dirt and flies and whatever else yeah, jumping like it, in that cavity so yeah. much easier right you know but but that brings us to the gutless method people are going to say well you know i'm not even a, i'm not even gonna mess with that jason I'm just right. going to take the quarters, the straps, the tenderloins, and I'm out. Yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. And to me, this is where kind of you and I, where I think you were like, oh, man, this guy's going to hang up on me. <laughs> and this is, you know, I don't want anybody to take this as a, um, a personal attack on them whatsoever. To me, that's kind of disrespectful in my mind to the animal because it goes back to like we, you and I talked about. So you spent thousands of hours thousands of dollars just to get to the point to hunt Mm -hmm. so you did your research then you put in for your tag you got your tag now you're doing more research now you're 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 putting your camp stuff together you know you spent hours and hours and hours just to go hunting right my dog almost fell i got a cinder and uh actually i'm gonna walk get her inside it's like 90 degrees out here now Okay. So you spent all that time doing that, right? Oh, just ran in on her own. And you shoot this animal and you're like, I'm just taking the legs. I'm just take, I'm just getting the hell out of here. This goes back to I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna beat anybody down. But in my opinion, one, it, it it's kind of disrespectful to the animal, and two, it's waste. You're 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 missing so much of the boat on that animal. So let, um, let's, let's you, talk you, about you, that. Well, let's, let's go into the gutless and, and I'm going to let you continue that because, but I want to okay. head it up with this, that one person's trash can be another person's treasure. And, and, and that's where I'm going to let you, because again, we do have a little bit of difference in this. And, and part of it is, is sometimes you, you make choices and you make choices when you're out there yeah. accordingly. And sometimes, and you're right, sometimes it comes down, depending on your situation, how close you are to a vehicle. And I imagine this kind of changes some of your mentality. I mean, if you have a vehicle right there, you're within, uh, you know, 400 yards, a half mile of an animal. There's so much more of that animal that you can bring out than if you're you know, having to pack things out solo and you're four miles in, two miles in and having to go back and forth. So people are going to make choices. And there's, you know, for me, um, it, it was kind of like what I found was uh, after everything that I was taking off and everything that I was utilizing, I was like, well, why am I going inside this animal? It was a waste of my time and my energy. And, and in my mind, Jason, I, I felt like as soon as, especially as a bow hunter, sometimes you have broadheads that go through, um, they end mm-hmm. up popping uh, some intestines, doing different things. So for me to go inside was the opportunity to, to introduce um, bacteria by actually going into that animal in my mind. And there's times there's not. I just double lung pop, but there was nothing that I was going to use in there that I was not getting on the outside if I was diligent and how I took that meat from the outside of that animal. So um, 
With that, though, there are things that I didn't utilize, and there are things, and we can talk about the ribs here in a few minutes, but I want you mm-hmm. to do it because one person's trash is another person's treasure, and I'm going to let you have it from there. So you brought up a good point. Um, let's say you nick the gut, right? Mm-hmm. So anatomically, if you look on the inside of the animal, that diaphragm right. separates the heart and the liver and the lungs and all that from everything from the diaphragm back to the butt. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. So now you're worried about the meat that your tenderloins, your rear, your rear quarters. It's okay. If you lose your flank, you know, whatever, there's not, once again, flank, there's not, there's meat on the flank. And personally I take the flank and I leave all the stuff on it cause I use it for broth or whatever. Um, and you're going to lose probably your New York, but just, you're going to take everything. We know that. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying if those things are tainted, you're like, crap that I just, you know, I need to get that stuff as clean, as quick as I possibly can. Right. I want people to realize that there is a barrier, your diaphragm from your, because I don't, I don't think people understand that they think once they hit the gut, Mm -hmm. like it's all done. And that's not true. You're not going to lose anything on the front end. You know, leave, leave the diaphragm. If I, if I gut shot something, I would totally hit the gutless method as quick as possible, especially on the rear end of the animal. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I would leave the diaphragm intact and all that kind of stuff and just let the guts bleed out on the back end. So that's something that people that. don't understand is that you can leave the diaphragm intact and gut an animal. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that people go inside an animal and feel like, you know, I've got to pull heart, lungs, everything out at the same time that I'm pulling out intestine, stomach, and stuff like that. No. They, they go in and trim that diaphragm and start pulling everything out. But that's you not the case. To. That's a misunderstanding. No, no the, all the bad stuff's from the diaphragm back. <laughs> right. You know, you might have some stuff in the trachea or, you know, like when you cut mm-hmm. the, where, where it connects to the stomach, you might cut that and get some stuff out. Just pour some water on it, clean it off or whatever, or take a rag and poke, you know, stop the hole, you know, stop that area from come, you know, the, the, um, from the, uh, esophagus, mm-hmm. just stop it from bleeding out. And another huge thing, another point I want to make real quick too, is, um, one thing that will make your meat go bad. Let's, uh, you know, the guy drags out a whole animal at once, right? Mm-hmm. And they took the heart, the liver, and all that. The one thing that will destroy the whole front of your animal in a matter of hours is even if you leave one inch of a piece of trachea uh, esophagus in the meat, one inch, Hmm. the acid from that will rot your meat in hours. Wow. Um. And I'm going to use the army as a prime example. I, I go over this over and over again. And I ask him, did you get the trachea out? Yep, got the trachea out. We took the animals down to Fort Carson down here. We had them in refrigeration, 38 degrees. We had a hog in its own refrigerator. Came back the next morning and it smelled so, it was horrific. We had to pull the freezer out and clean it. The guy, the kid didn't realize that he left one inch of the trachea, the ass or the esophagus, the acid had bled into the meat. It had turned 
bright green and rotted the whole front of the animal. Wow. Overnight, gone. 300 pound hog. We got the two legs off. The rest of it was trash. So, I mean, from, from up there at the very top of the throat all the way down, you pull that trachea out and you, you get it out ASAP. As, get it as – if it's not cut into, mm-hmm. you're fine as you're doing your other stuff. But right. as soon as you're done, you get that whole thing out because one, a little bit of that acid will ruin that animal so fast. And that's just coming from experience. Right. Good point. And, and then after I saw that, I started doing research and started asking questions from biologists and – meet, you know, meet people in the industry. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one thing I want to bring up back to the gutless method. Um, I don't use it. I guess it goes back to you and I talking personal preference. Sure. sure. I'm a full animal utilizer as much as I can. Absolutely. Um, there are situations like I just mentioned, if I gut, gut shot something, then yeah, I'm probably going to rip, get the quarters off in the back strap, whatever I can as quickly as I can. But that goes back to one shot placement, not every shot's going to be perfect. You know, it happens, happens to the best of them, happens to the worst of them, happens to everybody. Right. Um, but we, as hunters should do everything we possibly can to minimize that. And if we minimize all that, that brings us to, we did all that work to, to get the right shot, to get the right place, da, 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 da. Then why don't we do the, utilize the whole thing that we put so much work into so let me ask you this because um i'm gonna i'm gonna show a picture here that that i'm gonna share with everybody and um uh it it's going to be a picture that you sent to me and this is of uh some elk ribs that um that you've explained this picture do you see it so oh, I, have, yeah, I have it yep. shared, right? Okay. So what you're, so what you're looking at is what I, this is, this is how I deal with elk ribs. So you have the skin on the inside, you can peel the whole skin off on the inside. If you get it cold, you know, throw it in a freezer and you can do individual bones or you can do a half a rack. I find the bigger, the piece, the bigger, the piece, you know, we'll, we'll see, use ribs as an example, the bigger, the rack, the easier it is to manage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get your whole rack, it's kind of dried out, it's cool. You can rip that skin off on the inside. Then the one you see on the left is what I did was I, I stripped the whole piece of meat off the bone. And then all I did was roll it at the end of the bone, you know, mm-hmm. after I cleaned it, rolled it, tied it with a piece of butcher's twine. How I cooked it was I threw it in a marinade overnight with the rest of them and then threw them on the smoker. You know, you can sear them off, use the bone as your handle, you know, wrap it in tinfoil and, you know, you just eat the meat off the bone. Uh, The other ones, what I basically kind of the same thing, only I didn't wrap them like a lollipop. Mm -hmm. I just folded the meat back. I stripped it off the bone. I just folded it back on and tied it with butcher's twine. And And there's a rib bone inside of those. Yeah, they're they're sitting on top of the rib bone right right there. The other way to do it is just treat it like a beef. Um, the reason why I did it this way is I folded it on top because it gives you a little bit more meat because people are like, but it's so thin. And by the time I get done cooking it, there's really nothing there to eat. Mm -hmm. I understand that, you Mm -hmm. know, that, that comes back to, okay, I did it this way. I got a a rib that's, you know, we'll say 
18 inches long. Mm-hmm. So I got an 18 inch long piece of meat and a six inch long piece of bone that I cut off. Right. 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 So I just, I just fold it over and tie it on. And that's what you come up with right there. So now Man. you've got a, a thicker piece of meat that you can braise. It, you know, you could braise it or you could smoke it, you brine it, smoke it, all that kind of stuff. You know, we could, we could talk about cooking in a yeah. different. But, but the whole idea too is the bone in keeps that moist, right? Exactly. And adds more flavor. Yeah. To it. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, when I saw this, I was like, wow, man, I, I you know, this is way cool. Um, got to try something like that. Now, again, uh, I'm not sure that if I'm, you know, miles in, if that's still something that I'm going to try to do. I know a lot of guys aren't. I know, you know, you can go and trim out your, your, your rib meat for that. Because I was going to ask you, Jason, I was like, I mean, you talked about how somebody should be able without a bone saw to be able to bring. Do you have to have a bone saw to bring the rack of ribs out? Nope. So if you follow the rib up to the spine, mm-hmm. it's on, it's, it's literally like a little mini socket, right? Mm-hmm. So you just take your knife and you run it down those sockets. By now you've got the guts out, like everything's right, out right. of there and you yes. run it on the inside where the meat line is. Mm-hmm. All there's seams everywhere. There's the, the, we'll tell you where to cut whether it's a fat line or a meat line or whatever, there's seams everywhere. So you can cut on the inside and the outside of that where those little knobs are. Mm-hmm. And then you just push and they'll snap off. And then you just work your knife through and you've got a dinosaur rack of ribs. And what and about it, at the breastbone? At the breastbone, mm-hmm. you can, I, I don't know what kind of knives people carry. I just have one that I could take a stick and then because their breasts, yes, they're thick, but they're not thick enough to where you can't take a nice like log, yay big around mm-hmm. and just take your knife and go tap, 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 tap right through it. Okay, cool. You know, yeah. or you can just, cause you know, ribs are shaped like this. Right. You can just wrap it around your backpack. And tie them and, on. And then tie them on and walk out with a rack of, you know, the full I tell you what, I've seen coming out heavy photos, and I think that would be one cool-looking photo with that rack of ribs going around your pack like that, man. Yeah, (laughs) me, I I, I just tap down the middle of them, and I stack them on top of each other, Uh and then I wrap them up, and then you just wrap them. Or you can cut a hole on each rib and use it as a handle and throw it on your shoulder and walk out. So I think think that's really cool to talk about that, and and there's things that – People can get out of that. Uh, again, the situation, the closer you are, the, the more possibilities that you have. And, yeah, the easier and, it is. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, for, for example, when I'm guiding, uh, I'm generally able to get a vehicle right up to an animal and, and we pull whole animal out so that we can process as much everything, you know, as possible on that. Yeah. But what I tell guys, too, is, is that... You know, when you take things to a processor, the more that processor has to do, the more weight from the bone that that processor gets, um, the more it costs you. So, you know, we're often thinking that way as well, that if you can get meat off, that it's, it's going to help that situation. So you debone, you debone it, yes. right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In fact, not only do I, you know, we talked about the skin on, but one thing that you and I talked about was... Um, and I have told people this, and we've talked about it, and I've had people that have sent questions that I use um, 
and, and I call it the infamous ice bath because, you know, I have heard uh, people go, you never put meat in water. Boom. Just, I mean, that's just flat out. And for years, uh, I, because of my situation, where we're at, uh, and especially if you have multiple people in camp and not wanting to hang in warm weather and introduce, again, I didn't want the flies. I didn't want any of this stuff. So for me to get my meat, if, whether I kept the skin on or I ended up having to go back and forth or we use, use a game bag, but most of the time I'm able to use skin on, get it to camp, skin it out, debone it, get it on ice in a cooler and when we start it's all ice when it gets in there well the meat's going to melt some of that down it's going to create uh water in there where you have to keep ice on that so that it's an ice bath where there is always ice present never never to where you just have pure water inside there that, it's, that's the difference between you and i don't want to offend anybody mm -hmm. that's the difference between you and uh, and other hunters, other hunters will, and I say hunter, it could be anybody. Uh, I, I've opened up people's coolers and baloney and stuff's floating in water. And I'm like, right. no, I'm good. You know, <laughs> like, nah, I'm not that hungry. You know, I'll eat another, I'll eat another cliff bar. That's going to, you know, constipate me for a month, but whatever. Um, but that's, that's, that's the key is keeping that water ice cold. Right. Because, Bacteria isn't going to grow in ice. It can't. There you go. Right? Right. The minute the ice is gone, now is when this is when your bacteria is going to start growing. Yeah. Once that water gets to a certain temperature, your bacteria is going to start growing. I would say after 41 degrees, you're screwed. I say 40. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I'm giving 41 just, yeah. just to be kind, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but if you're, and, and I don't know how you do it, how you keep, do you guys just buy a pallet of ice and go out in the woods with it? Or I'm just, yeah, you know, yeah. you know so what I mean? We, yeah, we actually bring coolers that are loaded with ice. And the other thing I do is I, I, I take jugs uh, and I, I create, you know, whether they're Gatorade jugs or milk jugs. and I You create, freeze them. Yes, and I freeze them. And that's going to go inside that with that animal as well. And, and, with, and with cooler technology today, you know, they're saying, oh, I can, you know, your ice will stay in my cooler for, for 10 days or whatever right. it is, seven right. days. Right. With the, the cooler technology is insane nowadays. Right, absolutely. Um, so that goes back to what you and I were talking about with the whole pre-plan, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know, I know I have to put this on ice. I don't it's going to be 85 degrees. We're going to shoot yeah. at elk in the morning when it's only 65 degrees, but by noon, it's going to be, you know, 85, 90 degrees. Sure. I have to put, so I better have that capability. Not everybody can afford to buy those extra coolers. Right. 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 So they need, their thought process needs to be diverted in a different way. In right. my opinion, sure. their thought process needs to be, where am I going to hunt? How, you know, should I even, or should, should I become an archery hunter? Right. Because archery hunting, you know, I love, I want to be an archery hunter and all this, but I can't really afford to go spend $2,000 on coolers for when I ask, after I shoot something, I got I want to keep my meat on ice and hang out with my buddies and help them hunt over the next three or four days. If I'm the first one to kill. Right. 
Yes. So that, that conversation in your head and with your friends is, okay, here's our scenarios. What can we do for meat care? Because your, your number one thing should be, and this is just me, the, the hunt is, in my opinion, getting the tag is the hardest damn part in Colorado, for one thing. Because <laughs> the rules change every month, you know, every year. Yeah. But the hard part for me, in my opinion, is it's not the hunting. It's, after, like, it's not even the gutting process. It's what do I do with the meat? Right. There you go. That's the hardest part of, I don't care what hunt you're on. That's the, I could hunt and hike 15 miles a day, be tired as hell. That's not the hard part. It's the, I don't want to waste this meat. There you go. Absolutely. How right. am I going to get this out now? Yep. What am I going to do to mitigate loss? Loss of meat. Mm -hmm. I hunted for meat. And, and I get it. People are trophy hunters and, you know, they take the head and they say, do whatever you want with the meat to whoever's with them. But to me, my number one goal is the hardest part is making sure my, my development of my plan, getting the meat from 10,000 feet to my yes, freezer absolutely, and because not, and not good, losing it. Good meat care. And, and I'm sorry, but it comes down to, like you said, it comes down to planning. It comes down to yeah. planning for success. And, you know, when you talked about, you know, how many thousand dollars worth of coolers, you know, I'm a grinder, man. I was on teacher salary. So uh, now I currently have a Yeti, a, a large Yeti 160. I didn't buy it. Somebody gave it to me as a gift before. Yeah. And it was always Coleman coolers. That, <laughs> yeah, you know, where you're just packing ice because you're yeah, heck damn, yeah, man. Melting like an hour. <laughs> you're like what well, happened? <laughs> but at the same time, if I found that again, if I did do the jugs of large blocks of ice, right? Yep, yep. Got meat on top of that, and I kept those coolers in the shade where they never had the sun on them. I was able to mitigate that ice melting and always keep ice on that stuff. So, Another good one is. Um, if you're by any kind of a river or whatever, absolutely, build a little dam and put those coolers in the water. Yep, and and that that'll keeps, help out. Yeah, as, that absolutely. helps out tremendously. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, the the thing was was I was not with just Coleman coolers. That kind of restricted how many days before I had to bring out. So it but didn't you mean planned. I. What's that? You planned. Yes. Yes, yeah. I planned because now I might not have, you know, had to bring it out. I might have been able to hunt with guys one day or two days more, but by day three, we're, we're sliding, man. We're coming out, right? And then we're yeah. coming back. So you have to have a plan. And that's where I talked about some of these guys, man. I, I talked to guys uh, that they're telling me, yeah, I'm going solo and I'm going to hunt six miles in. Uh, and if I get an animal, I'm strong enough to get it out of there. Well, my point isn't, are you strong enough? It has nothing mm -hmm. to do with that. But I know that the human body, to get six miles with a quarter on your back, I'm not saying you're not able to do it. It just takes time. By the time you get there and get to your cooler in your truck, and now you got to go back and get another one, and you got to come yeah. back and then another one. How many hours is it going to take before that gets out of there? And you and I have said 40 degrees is the mark, man. After 40 yeah. degrees, meat starts going bad, right? Yep. Now, if you're in a situation where, 
a great situation where you have a deep creek area where you can hang. It's going to stay cooler because cool air stays down there. It's in the shade. Now you're yep. a little bit better in high cotton, you know, or you shot in the evening. And, and this is another thing people have to think about. If you shoot at night, are you going to haul meat all night long because it's cooler and you can do that? Or are you going to get sleep so that you're rested and you don't hurt yourself? I mean, there's a lot to of me, things. To me, you're, you're better off leaving it out there in the yeah. cool mm-hmm. at night, you know, yeah. you, you, now you know that it's going to get cool. Right. You got, you got to think too. Um, if, if I'm in a hunt camp with three or four other guys and I'm the first guy to put an animal down and I, and we brought, let's say you and I brought some meat out. This goes back to meat care. Mm-hmm. And I say, uh, you know what? I don't, I, I think, I think we should eat this over the next few days because it's going to go bad. Right. Because, we, we weren't able to handle this a little bit as well as the other stuff. Yes. This, so let's utilize this now and, you know, let's utilize the 10 pounds over the next few days versus losing 10 pounds. Right. Because we're, you know, we're concentrating on Joe Bob's hunt now. So kind of plan for pick and choose what you're willing to eat while you're out in the field, which might save you on groceries. Sure. Yep. You know, you, yep. you know, or might save you in a pinch because you could get some whacked out blizzard that drops on you and you're stuck there for four, three or four more days. You know, we, we joke about it in our camp. We tell, I mean, we've had guys that said, you know, well, you know, they look down in a canyon and they're, and they're five miles out and they want to kill a bull down in the bottom of that canyon. I'm like, dude, you, you can kill it down there, but you might as well take you a couple of loaves of bread and just eat it because you ain't getting it out in time. You're not going to get it out of there. Yeah. No, absolutely yeah. not. You got to um, consider stuff like that. You have to, you have to, you truly do. Um, and going back to the gutless method versus what, what I prefer, uh-huh. um, you could look on it on that level too, as far as, okay, I, I, I know, I know I can get A, B, C, D and F out. Right. But you know, it'd be nice is I'm kind of, I, yeah, I'm eating soups and all that kind of stuff, but you know what? I know I got four more days of hunting or five more days of hunting, whatever it is. Yes. Man, I could crank some good energy out of the heart, the liver, the kidneys. Right. I can get some really good nutrition out of those organs right? that might give me more energy, give you more energy, give Bob more energy, give Dave more energy. Yeah. So let's just take that stuff with us. Right. Let's just gut it. Let's take the ribs. We'll make, we'll make a broth while we're hunting. You can literally just take a pot, put water in it, throw all the ingredients on it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you generally have hot coals going. You know, you might not have a fire, but you know, it's warm and just let it, let it sit on those hot coals and go hunting and come back and flame that thing up, get it boiling for about 20, 30 minutes and start drinking that because you're tired. Use that in your ramen soup. You know, you take the ribs out and you break them up into pieces and throw them in a pot of water and you make broth out in the field. So we know that if we're, if we're talking about scenarios, we know that you're going to be, when it comes to meat care, a cool weather situation, 
is way different than a warm weather situation. So generally when we're talking rifle hunting, like you were talking about you, you know, yeah. you're, you're out in a more cool weather situation. So there's so many more options and time and things that you can do to care for that meat. You don't have the same yeah. bugs. You don't have to worry about the same temperatures. So you're, you're no. so much better off. So I think generally when we're talking about this meat care and we're talking about these worst case scenarios, most of the time this is archery season, man, you know, yeah. Especially, yep. I see archery seasons now to get earlier, earlier when guys are hunting in August in Arizona, in Utah. And I mean, we're talking sometimes, you know, close to 100 degree weather out there, right? I, I was just in Arizona picking up that trailer. It was 122 degrees down in Chandler Mesa. And guys are hunting, you know? <laughs> and we went up to the top, you know, we, we were leaving and we got up to the top of the, you know, out of town on top of the mountain range. It was still 99 degrees. Wow. At 6,500 feet. So let's say that we have guys and they keep hearing about hanging meat and we're talking that the days are getting 80, 80 some degrees. The nights are maybe getting down to 40 degrees, right? And they're hanging meat. How long is it going to take before that meat goes bad? So, and you got to think fluctuation too. Right. So if you got your meat cooling and then it's heating, cooling and heating. Mm-hmm you're kind of pushing bacteria bacteria you're not if it if, let's say it gets down to 40 at night right it, it's not going to kill that bacteria right it's already started to grow from you know whatever and then it during the day it's going to climb again so it, it goes back to the key the key thing you said was we need to get it on ice at that right. point right mm -hmm. so that goes back to your planning if you're at a hunt camp and, and I've always done this when I've hunted with other people, whoever gets their animal, you know, if it's rifle season, who cares? Hang it in the right. tree. Sure. Even if it gets to 65 degree, like Colorado in the middle of November can be 65 degrees during and the day. And there can be 20 degree difference in shade. So let's remember that. It, exactly. So you got to hang it in the shade, but it's only gonna be 65 degrees for about two and a half hours, three okay. hours max All right. in Colorado. And then that temperature is going to start dropping again. Right. So I don't worry about it. I'm like, just let it hang. We'll go hunt. We'll stay here the whole week. It'll be fine. It's not going to mess with it. So, but so a, ex a, explain that to me though, Jason, because it, it got to 65 degrees. So once that temperature starts falling back down again, it stops that bacterial growth? No. So basically in at 40 degrees or less, right. it's that meat internally has gotten cold, right? right. Yes. Now it is cold all the way to the bone right so the temperature climbs the only thing that's gonna get kind of that outside that's gonna hit that or that that outer temperature mm -hmm. is gonna be like the first quarter layer okay because if you're in the shade mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. you don't have direct sunlight beating on it at all mm -hmm. it's not it's not the intern that the, the mass part of that meat is not gonna get warm enough okay it's going to stay on the outside because it's only going to get to that temperature and then it's going to start dropping in the wintertime right away. Whereas in the, our summertime scenario, our archery, us archery guys, right. It, it's not going to get to 40 degrees in, in Colorado at night. Like mm -hmm. even at 10,000 feet, it's still 65 degrees at night right now. Really? So, Oh yeah. N now what temperature how, how long during the day and what temperature does it need 
that they don't have to worry about that meat going bad? I would say as long as it stays below like 45 degrees, mm -hmm. 45 and lower, mm -hmm. and you hang it in the shade, right? I wouldn't even worry about it. Okay. Because at night, your nighttime temps are going to be in the 30s. And that's why I keep going back to the core of the meat. Right. I wouldn't so much worry about the outer layer. Your goal is to get the core, like the inner part of that meat cold. Okay. Once that's cold, it's, it's just like, uh, and that's below it, uh, 40 think, degrees. That's below 40 yeah, degrees. Correct. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm -hmm. So think of it almost in reverse, you know, when, when you shoot the animal, that, that hide keeps it warm. Right. And the internal part of that muscle By that is, bone. Hot, yeah. is super hot. Mm -hmm. And until that cools, it's going to stay warm and the meat's going to stay warm all the way through. Right. Versus, you know, when you get it cold, once that enters cold and you maintain that, once that's maintained, mm -hmm. the cold, it's, it's actually kind of difficult for the heat to escape at that point. Right. Um, and I've done kind of little experiments to where I've cut legs like down the middle mm -hmm. and, you know, the deboning method basically. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it always gets warm during the day because you, you, you've opened that up opened to up. warmth. Right, right. Whereas if you leave it on the bone and everything gets cold, it stays cold. That's I mean, that. you could, I, I've, I've froze whole legs mm -hmm. and then had to hang them for four or five days to thaw. We're talking four or five days in a garage at 50 degrees and cut in to deep, you know, to seam that muscle out, that mm -hmm. bone out. Mm hmm and it's still crystallized on the inside I'll be after five days in 50 degrees. In 50 degrees? In 50 degrees inside wow. that elk leg. Wow. It's still crystallized frozen. And I'll I'm like, now I got to leave this thing on the counter for another two hours just <laughs> to be able to, to get, you know, to seam out the muscle. Right, right. Yeah. So personally, I would rather have it froze and deal with that than have it. You know. So that's the other thing. A lot of people say that uh, I, I, a big misnomer is that you can only freeze meat once. So nope. if you froze it and now you're thawing it out to, you know, to cut it, you've got a problem. And that's not correct. Nope. Anything you grind, you only want to freeze once. Whole muscle, you can freeze it, thaw it freeze it, thaw it, eat it. Yeah, well, when you, go and ahead. the reason it, when the, and the reason is because you're leaving that structure the same on a molecular level, the okay. protein fibers and all that mm -hmm. are staying in place on a whole muscle. Well, right? even, even with ground, I mean, the whole reason that I hear that you don't want to refreeze things is that in the thawing process, um, bacteria can grow in the thawing process. And so when you refreeze it, you're just possibly introducing bacteria. But the thing is, think, think, about, think about this. I would say, yes, that can be true. But if your bacteria didn't grow in the first place, right. when it was thawed, uh -huh. why would it regrow after it's been frozen? Well, well and yeah, and, and, it, it's, it's, and it's not so if much it's there, after it's, it's already there. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. You know, you weren't, you're, you already had it when you, when you started. Right. So you're not reintroducing anything new. You so if you had bacteria on it, when you started you, by, by freezing it, you just stopped it from growing. 
Right. So the key is to not get bacteria in the first stage. Correct. Right? Yeah. So with grind, the problem with grind is you're sending a muscle. Um, and if you look at a protein fiber, it looks like a rope. Uh-huh. You know, I'm going to get kind of technical here. And when you grind it, you just turn that rope into frayed pieces everywhere. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now you've broken the protein, the little protein molecules. You've macerated them with grind, whereas a whole muscle, they've stayed in position where they want to be other than where you made the cut, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh Oh, my battery's going, I'm about to lose my battery. Um, you've already, you've already done that with, with the grind. You basically, once you freeze it, you thaw it and you freeze it again. When you go to thought, it's just, it's just water. Yeah. It just turned, you just turn the meat into water. So with your grind, all you want to do is grind it, freeze it, cook it. <laughs> That's so, it. because I know your battery, you probably have what nineteen percent left then on your phone. Yeah, there? about. Yep. Yeah. So what what I'm gonna do is we're gonna hit one more question here, and then we're gonna close this out. And guy, man, I, this has been awesome. It's just been a great conversation, and I definitely want to get you back because we want to talk about some of those other things. And but I, I'm and we know it's about planning. But let's say that somebody had thought they had planned and they had a base camp that had ice and, you know, they're, they're way back in there. And, you know, for example, my camp takes about, gosh, man, it takes about four hours to get out of that daggum thing just to a regular road. So let's say that they spiked out, they kill an elk and they manage to get that back to their camp and they get it back and ice is gone, Right. Mm-hmm. What are these guys having to do to save what's happening here? So for what I, what I would do is I would, that, that's when the mitigate, that's when the uh, decision process comes in. Mm-hmm. I, the most bang for my buck. Right. I know my legs are good ish. Right. Right. They've hung, they've got a crust on them. They're in a game bag. I know I can get, you know, I know I can get those in the back of my truck or the back of my SUV or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would not do is put them in a cooler and close the cooler door. Okay. Because that? that cooler is going to hold the heat. Right. And you're basically going to, now you're building a Petri dish based essentially. You've right. just created a giant Petri dish. I would just assume leave them on top of everything mm-hmm. or, um, I would put them on the top of my vehicle because the sun's going to be beating down and you're, right. you'll probably cook some of it. You might be able to eat some, make a little jerky or whatever. But uh, I would get them in the vehicle, kind of in a position where they're standing up as best as possible with a little bit of air going mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just, you're not going to do this in the wintertime. You're not going to worry about it. So we're right. talking archery hunters yep, right now. Absolutely. I'm going to crank my freaking air conditioner as high as I can get. And I've done this with the army guys put the meat in the back right. of my FJ okay. and crank the air conditioner. So Just got it get, going. get a tarp maybe in your back seat and, and lay that Where, out wherever. And, yeah. and get meat on top of that and crank yeah. that AC. Put all your stuff inside. Um, if you're willing for, willing for some of your crap to get wet, right. if it rains or whatever, mm-hmm. strap that to the top, get your stuff inside, set your meat on, crank your AC. Just get it cool in there. As cool as you can stand it. And get right? it out of Dodge. And, and get it out get it out of Dodge. Right. Um, and if that means at that point you're like, you know what, my 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 back straps have already gone bad, then it goes back to your point earlier. Okay, coyotes are getting fed, 
crows right. are getting fed. I'm giving back to nature. It, you know, it, it was an unforeseen circumstance. I can get the most bang out of my buck out of the rear quarters, the front shoulders. And I don't and know I that anybody heard that conversation and, and I'll, and I'll, because I think we had it before we recorded. And, oh, yeah. and, and when we were talking about the gutless and in, in my mind, I know, and now this is not an excuse. This is not a reason for people to justify wanting waste because that should never happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should always attempt because they made the kill to get their meat out, but understand something. Nothing goes to waste in nature. It, it, it doesn't. You know, um, uh, the birds, the coyotes, the bears, um, nothing goes to waste. It, it all becomes part of that circle, all the way down to the friggin', um, you know, worms and stuff that, that work that, you know. Yeah, new, new uh, foliage can grow from it. I mean, like yes. all that. It's yes. all nutrient, natural nutrients. Yeah. Uh, what, what do they call it when you died? Worm dirt. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know yes yeah and so i mean I, and i talked about that is to me you know when i do a gutless method i don't go in and take inside stuff out but i know that my brother bear i know that my brother crow that all of those are going to feed on that and that's all going to become part of that process and yep. and i i've also seen people that have utilized that as uh you know, they've actually gone back, uh, allegedly, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when bears have gotten on some of that as well. So, you know, uh, so that was the conversation that we had, that some of that, you've got to make decisions and and you're going to do the best you can with what you have. So I just wanted to throw that out there because that was. One yeah. And, you know, and even with the military, with the, the uh, combat sustainability course that I teach, mm-hmm. I teach those guys that I said, I understand you guys are you guys could be in the desert somewhere. Right. Who, who the hell knows? You could be in a hot, rainy, jungly situation. Mm-hmm. So make the decision on what best suits what what is best going to get you what you need. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if, if if that's the meat on your table, and that's the only meat you get on your table, then absolutely take the the bigger the biggest chunks you can possibly get. You know, and save it, right. And Absolutely. save and save that. Yeah. Do what you can. And that's why I tell people, guys, make sure you plan. Uh and and don't don't think that it's all about you and your condition. It's about the conditions, the variables that you have to deal with in the time of year that you're hunting. So that has to be included in your plan. Nobody doubts that you're not physically able to do something. No. But the, the human body takes time to get from point A to point B. So you, you got to make sure that, you know, you got to think about those things before you commit to taking an animal, unless you plan on staying there with it and, and you know, uh, doing the things that you can to try to save that. And sometimes, guess what? Crap happens and you're not yeah. going to, you know, it just Well, happens. you know, another quick note on meat care is you can – like I, I'm like in your situation or my situation or some, most people's situations, go co- kosher salts a couple bucks for a, a two pound or whatever it is box of it, right? Mm-hmm. With when, with regards to your loins, lightly salt them. Kills bacteria. It goes back to old world old world curing methods. Oh, there you go. Salt mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Throw some salt on them. Leave you know, them out, hang them. Leave them, yeah, hang them, or get a one of your small coolers that's dry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Throw some salt down there, roll them in the salt, 
and then hang them up. You know, the salt, just think of it this way. You don't have to season it now. Right. No, it's <laughs> you a just great, cut it off and you have a steak. Great tip you know? right there because a lot of people don't think about that, especially even, for a base camp, right? Yeah, even your leg, like um, when they dry cure whole, you know, pork legs, mm-hmm. you know, for prosciutto or something like that, um, just salt around where where you used your knife. There you go. Uh-huh. And crust that in salt and that'll kill bacteria. Push it in around the bone. Get it in that hole because that'll kill bacteria. And then once a night, come back and throw a little bit more salt on it. You're not going to ruin the meat. You right. know, you, th- 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 those are cuts. They're going to have some salt, a little bit more salty, but know that when you go to cook it, oh, wait, this was salted. You know, I don't, I probably, I probably don't need to salt this at this point. And it's also going to dry it out. It, you know, that goes back to, okay, it's salted. It's dried meat. I can throw it in the grinder for burger. Sure. There's there nothing you know. wrong with it, you know, or I'm going to use that to make my um, smoked sausage. You know, that, that dried crusty meat is going to be ground up and thrown in with my smoked sausage. I, but that's I think, a whole nother, a whole yeah. nother series on cooking yeah. and curing. And, and we'll talk about that. But I mean, when, I mean, that was a perfect scenario. I mean, you've been out on a spike, you come back, ice is gone. If you have salt in there, you have a saving grace then. You have something that can help you out with that situation. So yeah, uh, I, I think that's phenomenal, man. And this has been great, man. I know you're getting low. We're, we're Man, we're actually – we almost hit that two-hour time again. Yeah, no, that's you know? fine. That's fine. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got a bunch of other stuff to do, but they'll all yeah. wait for me. And, uh, Jason, I, I want to thank you. I want to do this again. Like I said, it'll probably be after – after my guiding season, but I, I think some okay. of the things to, to share with these people, there is power in knowledge. And I think the more that we give people the facts out there from the pros and from people like yourselves, it gives them things, it gives them options, it gives them thought processes, and mm-hmm. it lets them, you know, that's like I tell people, every year, your comfort zone and, uh, you know, as far as your your shooting distance or your ability level shooting, that uh, you decide what your comfort zone is, that your effective range. Every year that has to be reevaluated because you work differently every year. And same thing yeah. with this is you get more do- more knowledge about just meat care. It, it allows you to reevaluate some of that stuff. So this is super productive. This is fantastic stuff for our listeners jason if people want to learn more about your teachings or your processing programs where can they find you um you can just type in uh www.jasonnauert.com mm-hmm. you can follow me on instagram it's jason the butcher on instagram um, or you can shoot me an email i take emails all the time uh, it's just jasonnauert at me.com awesome man Hey, everybody listening, this has been fantastic. We're glad that you're listening to this, glad that you took the ride along with us. And remember, there is power in knowledge. And guys, keep dreaming of the screaming, keep believing and achieving, but most of all out there, y'all keep grinding. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.